0: I have a really, really special guest for you today. Jason Shuttleworth is uh was an operator for us, was a longtime business coach in our program. And he went out and he uh got involved with one of our early alumni, Rick Eastwood, and 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 I connected them uh when, when uh, Rick was looking for amazing people and 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 Jason was looking for an opportunity and uh Jason. Created some opportunities for Rick in his business. And then eventually he created this enormous $100 million plus uh, packaging business, plastic packaging business. His products exist in every Walmart around the world. So just an incredible story of persistence, relationship building, commitment, focus. He's also gotten ve- involved in uh, sport in, in his community, building community and building sport for people who are less privileged and uh please listen right to the end uh he 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 drops some amazing stories about some of the amazing ways that he celebrates with his customers around the world, and I thought that was really unique and and incredible and so you know again, you know what I'm up to is finding young Jason Sheellerworths to come join our program and so if you know of him, any amazing young leaders, please send them my way and uh You know, I'm just uh, really excited to be able to share. Took quite a while, by the way, to get Jason on this podcast. Uh, He is very, very busy, as you'll hear, and, um, you know, amazingly successful. So, a big win here for the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast to have Jason come and share. So, uh, enjoy the podcast. Cheers. Well, Jason Shuttleworth, I am so excited to get you on the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. It's been a long time coming, so uh, welcome aboard.
1: Oh, thanks for having me, Chris.
0: Yeah, no, I know, uh, you know, uh, Jason was one of our, we had all sorts of amazing speakers last year. Jason was our highest ranked speaker, and so really excited about all the value that you can add for our leaders listening, uh, Jason. So why don't we start back at um, who were you before joining student works, you know, Barry high school, you know, who, who was Jason?
1: Yeah, I was a little hockey player, 150 pounds playing junior B minor, you know, uh, minor midget AAA hockey. And, um, you know, I was either had a decision to stay in, uh, stay there. I went to central collegiate and was involved in student council and stuff like that. But yeah. I had a decision either. I was going to pursue hockey or go to the university of Western Ontario. And I was highly Influenced by the student works painting manager that I didn't even know I was going to do student oh, works right. painting, but Tim Craft, yeah. and Tim was at Western, and I kind of followed his footsteps, and then uh, and yeah, it was a great decision. Instead of pursuing hockey, I I went more of the education route. I did try out for the Western hockey team, and then uh, I remember Steve reaching and NM, I might rifle the puck past my head, and I said enough of that. I'm going to go the seeps. I'm going to try to see if I can get Biz Twenty going and then i obviously ran into student works painting which consumed a lot of my life through university and uh and, and set a lot of my course forward
0: yeah well just just to shout out tim craft um i know i i reconnected with him recently he's doing wonderfully well with with his family a uh, serial entrepreneur has a bunch of businesses running uh king and owns the kingston airport so uh so yeah wow. so so that's awesome he's he's quite a character and uh and and really it's it's awesome having that early young influence in your life. Right. And, 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 and helping, you know, provide direction. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Tim was definitely someone I wanted to follow footsteps. That's for sure. Yeah.
0: So, so Jason, you know, thinking, thinking back, you know, I know you had an extensive career with us, you know, top operator, top business coach. Now we call them business coaches, not DMS. And, you know, you were really, really amazing at what you did. What are you still taking, from that experience and, 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 and the things that you're still using.
1: A lot, Chris, Uh, you know, and I, we talked about that at your um, at one of your, I guess, uh, training seminars, like I still use a day at a glance. I I literally print, print out my day every day. And um, I look at my month and year at a glance, and I still very much into my pen. And uh, I think relationships, I'm still very much about face-to-face business and phone calls and, know of course we use text and email but very little email to be honest like you know you want to diarize stuff but but i think relationships getting out there getting in front of people i think the networking um the ability to to take on almost any challenge uh i've taken on many challenges over the last uh, few decades and I, i really felt invincible because i think coming out of university um those years especially those first two years you know like it was quite a thing that, you know, looking back that, you know, that we accomplished You know, I accomplished in my own business for the first time. And yeah, I think it was that confidence that I could do anything and I tried everything mm-hmm. and, uh, and some things didn't go as well as others, but I think I learned the tenacity and resilience a lot from, from working with students painting and, and through university and that pressure to, to earn and, and pay for university. That was, that was a big deal for me. Right. Right. Yeah. Just
0: because, because that was something that you needed to make money to be able to 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 go back to school.
1: 100% I took on that role in first year and you know I had to fight I didn't have a car we didn't you know my folks we didn't have tons of cash it was my as a first of family of six to go to university so lots of pres, pressure to to do something special but you know it was funny I I didn't really think of it as pressure at the time I look back I think wow that's pretty pretty wild like you would either corrupt uh, corru- you know crush under that pressure or step up. And I think through the mentorship and some support from, remember, Craig Loudon and Nick Eves, who's still yes. someone I talk to today. You know, it's um, it's just that building up of that confidence. Like, I didn't know anything about running a business. I played hockey, worked at Bandito yeah. Video, Bell, Bell yeah. you know, pulling wires at the middle of the night to pay for university. And, you know, I, I never looked back after first year, never went back to my parents, never went to OSAP. You know, we I figured out how to pay for my next year and then my next year. And yeah. that was financial independence for me, to be honest. I was I was independent, you know, as of 18, 19 years old, which was pretty wild.
0: Yeah. And just to shout out, Craig Loudon is the chief operating officer of Indigo. And that was uh, uh, Jason's uh, Jason's first district uh, business coach. And Nick Eves is the uh, chief operating officer, of NLSE, Napoli Sports and Entertainment, another rock star, you know, uh, former alum and uh and i know one story and i don't remember i'm sure you remember it but i remember you talking about it and sharing it with our team of of rookies about just how frightened you were to make the first phone call to your customer could you maybe share that is that something that you remember yeah, just how I was, frightened
1: i was really nervous like i you know i'd spoken in front of like the auditorium of my peers being student council um student council vp president treasurer yeah. like all that but nothing was comparable to making that call and or that first estimate and you know yeah I was really nervous Chris and uh and I remember that but you know I had the support of Craig at the time who who coached me through it and uh but then he also gave me the like uh, the training like it really did for me and I and I like I just followed the book like because there it was a good it was all laid out I had my manual I, I kept my manual for years after um especially on the rapport building and stuff like that. But yeah. I was nervous, but that amazing moment, where right, You sell your first job that, yeah. you know, on somebody's home, their their yeah. biggest asset. I remember that customer, well, green, it was that I sold a lot of that deep green from Glidden. Yes, <laughs> I mean, yes. Anymore, but they no longer, you know, I don't four, think they have the same four, four, color. Four, yeah, it's all made right. of oil and yeah. thick and, you know. Yeah. But when they signed on and had confidence in me, that was it. That was it. I couldn't do enough of that. And I started translating it to the possibility of getting back to second year university. That was it. It was a connection to something that my why was pretty big yeah. and, and the vehicle to get me there was too worth painting.
0: Yeah. And, and, and again, I know, I know rapport building has always been something that you've been exceptional at and is a huge continuing success for your business. Maybe you could speak to that and, and just, you know, um, you know again uh, the, the relationships that you've developed and ha- how it impacts your business today jason
1: yeah like i'm in the produce business largely i'm also in the sports business today but uh produce is still reliant on on deep relationship and that's where you get margin and um you know and that's where you get survival so and i learned that from student works painting because it wasn't about just you know i remember my competitor I, I was very competitive as an individual i think it comes back to hockey and I just, you know, you see the odd quote and you kind of hear their experience of selling against us. And right. you never want to, I don't believe, really focus on your competitor. But one of the things in the rapport building, it was such a key thing every step of the way, walking around the house, uh, doing the estimate, sitting down, not jumping into the sale, trying to get to know the person. The empathetic sales process, I still use a lot today. I, I carry a little wine cork around. I don't know if I have it, but uh Little wine cork around when I'm selling. I just have it in my hand just to cork myself when I try to jump to the sale. And Ah. and, uh, I learned a lot from Student Works Pain because it was a forced process to not sell while you were there and then build the rapport and the trust. And then with trust, you can get your price. And I found my competitor would get a lower price. Tim Kraft taught me that. I said, make sure you sell at a good price. I was the senior. Um, manager in the other territory in Barry, and to do that, you had to get to know that customer in that hour that you're going to spend with them. Like imagine spending an hour or forty minutes because I'm doing an estimate for like a two or three thousand dollar job. But uh, we had a high ratio of um, closes because of the rapport. And even today, I think rapport is a is a key uh, secret ingredient in 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 the success of our business today.
0: Absolutely, and so. So Jason, so we, we leave student works. Why don't, why don't walk our young leaders? Because obviously you don't, you know, it's, it's everybody's past different, you know, but what, what did you do? What did you choose to do? And walk us through that. We'll kind of walk through step-by-step.
1: Step. Yeah. So student works, I came back into, after I left student works, I came back to Barry. My mom was six. So I, I, I spent some time with my parents, which was good for me. I was grounded. I'd had some, you know, success coming out of university and and uh, you know built up a little bit of time, so I had time. And then I think it was through um, a little bit through Yale, but no, it was Yale. A little connection there, but it was really Rick Eastwood was an ex student, works painting fellow yes. from BC, and somehow I was networked into into Rick, who had a packaging company, and he was losing a big account and. And he hired me, I believe, on the premise of knowing my trade. I knew nothing about packaging. Yeah. And the idea was we need, they need to go into something new um, to get because they were losing a big account. And so I focused on food and I jumped on traveling. I, I, and I sold things like national programs for the U.S. cutting pizza circles, stuff that they didn't even, you know, Domino's pizza we were involved with, rich foods. Pillsbury, uh, Nestle. I got involved in all these food accounts. I didn't know a thing about packaging, and I didn't know a thing about even corporate world. But it was just the natural sales process. I remember being in a strategic alliance when I was in my mid twenties with Loblaws and sitting with Dick Curry, who was running the company at the time, selling them on a national program to save them hundreds of millions of dollars. And I never, I didn't learn that at Western, and I learned from that. Through the sales process of selling jobs and building rapport, and that's where my career took off. Um, and I ended up starting my own packaging business from that experience, and helped my friend Rick Eastwood, you know, with some sales. And that company I think grew from there. Not not just because of me, but I think they had yeah. three or four times in sales from that lost account. They were literally going to do half their business when they. I think they were twenty million, and I think they're. I think he, I think he's way up there now. Yeah. No, so, um, I was part of that and, and part of that experience. And then I was off to the races. But with very little experience, I jumped right in and built big blocks of sales and production and profitable business for a partner.
0: Yeah. No, Rick Eastwood, by the way, you can check out 19, um, our, our 19th episode. And he talks about this situation, not specifically what you were doing, but his blue ocean strategy, how He lost this enormous account. He found that the type of business that he was doing was not going to be sustainable and he needed to regroup. And so he went from, I I, I don't know what the numbers were, maybe they were 20 or 30 then and then they fell back down and now they're at 150 million. So, so just, just incredible success. And I know Jason and Rick and, and Neil Bradley and I'll get out golfing every once in a while or outside the pandemic. And, uh, and, um, you know, it's it's really great about, you know, the things you learn. So basically, you went after this business for Rick and in the end, it started morphing into plastic and he he didn't want to set up. It didn't make sense for him to set up a plastic business. He already had a whole bunch of space and a whole bunch of manufacturing capability. Is that why you ended up yeah, separating I, yeah. out, uh,
1: Jason? I was running into so many opportunities because Rick gave me so much you say blue, like blue. I'm not sure the strategy called it, but blue it ocean like strategy. Blue ocean yes. I could dive wherever I wanted with yeah. and as long as it was profitable. And then we were trying to drive his machines, and obviously he had all kinds of employees. I started running into I ran into a company called Rich Products. I mentioned them. And actually it was Dom Domino's Tom Matt Monahan. And I got into involved in a launch of their product, uh, the DOTS program, and I got involved in a a launch with Walmart of an ovenable tray um, with rich, rich foods, rich products at a Buffalo. They're very, very famous company. And I said to Rick, you know, I think these are starting to get very entrepreneurial and I'm starting to get into a space where I'm basically brokering packaging and Rick, you know, recognized, you know, I, I stayed on with Rick for a couple of years. And then what he did was he, he, he kind of helped me house my business for a few years to help me. I use, I have a lot to Rick like just that fraternity that like Rick, Rick is a big reason why I'm successful today. So for a few years I worked out of Mississauga and I ran my business and then I supported the specialty business that we brought in to central. Right. And uh, you know, cause it just kind of guided my way into my own business. It was a process awesome. and Rick, Rick didn't take a dime out of it. He just helped yeah. me. It was like a, and then, yeah, I got into plastic cause we solved a problem someone came to me and said that West coast was eating up all the salad containers for, for plastic, these one pound containers and the East coast didn't have it. So I, I said, well, why don't I solve that? If I solve that, what would it mean? So I built a tool for a quarter million dollars in Montreal and we solved it and we got all that. I got all that business. And, and then I got into many other produce companies, but I also sold Nestle uh, worldwide. I'm, well you know, hold on well, why don't we go slower? selling just tons of solutions always a solution so so, so,
0: so one of the things is is you know you found an alumnus who who you know was supportive of you helped you out and mm-hmm. and again, you know speaking for Rick i just I'm, I'm I'm sure one of the things is you were supportive of him you were mm-hmm. creating value for him you were winning and great this is something I can do to help out and Again, there's he doesn't you know deserve equity in your business or whatever. He was fine to sort of hey, I'm going to focus on my things, you focus on your things, and I know you guys still have a great rec- reputation. Rick's one of my best friends, and you know, and and he speaks super super highly of you. And and but let's talk about that quarter million dollars. So you're a really young guy
1: still, yeah.
0: And so this opportunity to sort of build something for a quarter million dollars, did you find that money? Did you raise that money? Yeah. How did you manage yeah,
1: that? I, uh- I convinced some people to give me cash, to be honest and believe in me and gave them uh, a return on that money within the within the year Mm -hmm. and uh, paid it off right away. And it was just really on the enthusiasm of my business plan, Uh, not really a big business plan. It was largely on the back of a napkin, but I had the contract and I had the the business. I didn't use a bank. Um, And, uh, you know, I just bought the tool, amortized the tool with the customer, got the customer bought in. And I saved the customer so much money. And then we had I had supply and and no one had supply. It's the weirdest thing that like, like I had it and I had and then I just built another tool and another tool. And uh, you know, I just followed the lead of the customer. What I did was I really spent a lot of time with the retailers getting to know what they were looking for, and right. then I started developing the specs on the plastic to be more sustainable and more, more affordable. Like it's always I I I I was always just trying to find the right price, not the cheapest price, but the right price and stable supply line and by building it like that, using the opportunity and solving the you know solving the problem, laying out the problem clearly that it was stable as a solution I found the stakeholders from the customers end and the and the customers' customers they all chipped in they right. all gave me they all they all contributed to the success of the business because we held the, I held the solution and right. uh, yeah. And then we just solved it. And then, and then, then it becomes networking, never built a website. Uh, I still don't have a website today. Yeah. And I, I don't, I barely have an ordering system yeah. and you know, we, we've just networked and today we supply produce packaging around the world. And it's yeah. uh it, like I think we have 180 tools in plastic, a lot towards tomatoes. Um, now we're moving a little bit towards paper. We are in every supermarket in North America. No question our product is in every single supermarket in North America. It's in every refrigerator, I can tell you, in North America. There's no
0: question. And so to back this up, I know a bunch of people, because I know this was my thought, and this is something I learned from Rick Eastwood as well in his business, and he's dealing with these major companies you would think these major companies would have a handle on the plastic but they don't they need somebody to figure it out and so there's this entrepreneur named Jason Shuttleworth who who figures it out who goes oh i think i've got a solution and then working together with the suppliers who need plastic to get to the retailers and the retailers need the suppliers to have a solution so you find the solution and they say hey we want we want to work with this guy right because and there's not that many people really working in your industry to to find a solution here
1: well, there's big there's definitely big players in resin uh, but and and but no one focus like you just focus on the issue. and so I go to right I went to all the trade shows. I traveled to Europe, I traveled to Asia, I got on planes on my own dime, and I got to know the customers and right. I spent time with them in the element when they were selling to their customers. so like you know we, we supply the grower and the, and the marketer, and then they sell into the retailer. I, I went and called on the retailers. I right. learned that from Rick Eastwood. We pulled a lot of sales through the retailer. So I would go and call on, say, you know, a Loblaws or in the States, Walmart and Bentonville. So I would go down and, and, and I, would, I would become enough of an expert to be dangerous. I was right. very general and wide in my ability to solve problems, but I was very focused on what I wanted to achieve. And I was looking for volume, so my business is based on volume, and volume is a big component. And I try to run the right price on that volume, and then I vertically integrate it. I get to the cost of the resin. I buy resin. I move resin into position, and I buy manufacturing space. And then I then I set up distribution in the service. But the one thing we don't do, and unlike Rick, I I don't own I don't own machines. Right. So I'm not necessarily married. Uh, to a market and married to a whole bunch of employees I'm, you know, and I should probably employ more people, but um, it allows me to hedge against the Asian market, the European market, the Euro, uh, the Yen, I, I'm obviously the American dollar. All, I think all of our sales is American dollar revenue-wise, right. um, but we are very flexible to solve problems. And everyone knows that. If you want a supply in Mexico, we can get it done. And that's what we became known for is being you know the ability to get it done, and get it done like we were right there. And I think, I think that's our strategy. So because if I was getting caught into the fixed asset world, I would only be locked in that. And I was never smart enough to kind of, you know, I wouldn't say I was smart enough to really predict the market to buy a three, four, five million dollar machine. Yes, but I can buy, you know, five million dollars worth of tooling. You know, it's kind of an interesting approach and it, it seems to have worked so far, knock on wood. Right. And, and that's like 20 years. So I think we're, we're surviving pretty well.
0: You are certainly surviving and thriving very, very well, you know? And, and so any other, any other things that you've done, like my understanding is, is, is you've got some tools and dyes that are really unique and, and, and sort of prevent other competitors from coming into your marketplace. Any other things that you've done just for our, our leaders, you know, how does someone protect a a, a market like you're you're protecting it
1: well uh well first of all we work with our competitors right so i i don't i don't necessarily worry about you know having it completely locked down like i i've got very good competitors that sell at good margin and so you know we we distribute for them we stay very lean on the things that like our model is pretty straightforward Uh, our buildings are certain dollar per square foot and it's a lot less than than the buildings of our customer. So I tell them, well, why don't you move all your stuff that's on your floor that is clogging up production space and maybe clogging up your growth? Because you can't, especially during COVID, you can't grow fast enough. But I can add, you know, my buildings are food food safe, but they're not necessarily as cap or they're not as expensive to run. They don't okay. have as much labor, right? They don't have as much fancy lounges, right? Like, we don't have a lot of VPs. We have doers. We have salespeople. We have account like we have people like that do service, and myself. And we have boots on the ground, but we just don't have like that layer of of uh, man. We outsource all our accounting. We outsource all our legals. Right. We're really um, variable. Everything we do is variable. I think that's one of the things that's kept us so versus our competitor. They have to. um, They have to. uh, We're just leaner than them. In fact, and they use us, you know, to get their product. To our customers, and I'm happy to do it because okay. when I go to my customer, I say I can be full range, and some of our mix because we're private and we're not really into banks very heavy. In fact, we're barely into banks. I can adjust my margins where I need to, and I look for that opportunity to make margin. So I right. I, I think by staying flexible, lean, we spend our own money. Rick taught me that a long time ago. You know, he used to buy all his cars, and he used to. Like he was a very successful finance guy uh, in his business, but he said in packaging, you got to be able to weather the ups and downs. So make sure you can handle the downs, plan your business on the downs, never too yeah. high, never too low. And so we've done that all along where our growth, we had to pay for our growth. And even today we're going into Mexico with a large contract, I believe right now, and it's a big contract. We're partnering with our customer and uh, you know, we're doing it in a way that's, you know, I, you know, I don't think we're not going to really involve a bank to do what we need to do. Nothing against bankers. No, nope. it's just it allows us to solve problems when times are down. And and there will always be down times in a business. Yeah, it, it, there's no question you'll go up and down. But I believe we can weather those storms by keeping our costs under control and we watch our costs. I learned that from painting, too. I remember that, Chris, like we, I get a job and nothing. I loved calculating my profit. On yeah. a job, and then I loved managing my profit to higher than I sold it. Like it was a stupid awesome. little game, and like break yeah. down to like the, the the brushes and the cheap as heck on everything, and you know just getting the right cost structure. And I used to love analyzing my profit on a job, and I yeah. love my margin more than I love my revenue. Yes, um, you know, and I remember calculating that like, oh my goodness, I sold that job at X percent. And we were able to manage it, you know, 5% better. I remember even incentivizing my painters that way. And I know the whole piecework system was yes. that way, but, but we even gave, you know, Tim and shot me that like give like little bonuses if you're more profitable. Yeah. And that was actually the most fun was how much money I made on a given payroll. Every week we bring our payroll down or every two weeks. Yeah. Great. I don't know if you still do that, but we
0: still do. Yeah.
1: And meeting with my DM at the time, which is now a coach and, yeah, I just love that profit. And I was so proud about making money. Yeah, <laughs> it was like and I, and it was uh, it was uh, and I think today it's the same way I I look at our margins all the time. Every day I'm thinking about our margin every yeah. like on my phone, I'm, I'm calculating exactly where my business is right now and right. at any given moment.
0: What about saving? You know, I know that's one thing. Rick's a big saver and, and it may look like this. he's done really well now that he's not, but he really is. What about you? Did you, you know, hold on to money before you started to spend it and, you know, invest in other things? How'd you handle that, Jay?
1: Yeah, we, we did. Uh, we got thin at times, Chris. I have to admit, like it was dicey. Some of that motivated me, to be honest. Um, right. Uh, probably not as good at, good at the saving as Rick. Rick is very, uh, very prudent and he had very good very good controls with um I remember he hired his banker so he was very very good at that but I did pick some of that up yeah like we uh because it is our money though we're very careful how we spend it and uh you know and there is a process that we're we're we're, we're risk definitely risky yeah but we're risk adverse on where we place our own money so there really isn't a detachment right now between the cash and the decision. So uh-huh. if I'm going into Mexico, I'm calculating. Okay, how are we going to weather that storm cash wise? And cash flow right. is a cash flow is a really uh, big thing for us. And every day I'm thinking cash because our margins are are not exorbitant. We we have to watch ourselves. So I guess our saving is just in. I didn't really diversify with our investments. Uh, we didn't really get into real estate. We have invested in. in unfortunately, my accountants don't like inventory. When right. I first started, I carried no inventory. Right. I was just moving it through so fast. But I today we we focus on getting paid fast. Right. So and then we take that money and we reinvest into more inventory that services the account. Right. So I guess we're um, saving that way. And and our stuff is very transferable to multiple customers. So we're able to the stuff that's kind of market friendly we take a little more risk on, but if it's customized, we get paid right away, right away. before and you it's Because down. they absolutely need us. Right. And so we get paid almost like a, we get paid. I don't want to say this too loud in front of my customers, but we get paid before they pay us. Yeah. And we've designed everything very carefully with our overseas suppliers and just, we, just all the timing of payment. That's what's right. uh, very critical to us.
0: Yeah. No, I can see uh, that. I don't I know if I answered that. your
1: question, but um, no, you did. No, you did. not You did. In the business.
0: Yeah, and I wanted our leaders to hear again, just kind of the cash flow, the thinking that goes into financing a company. So, what about what about looking back? Any big failures or mistakes, and what did you learn from those,
1: Jason? Oh, lots of mistakes. Lots of mistakes. Uh, lots of mistakes around um, some of the different ventures that I got into. I remember I got into a marketing venture where I was going to redesign the Skydome. I, I pitched Rogers before. I remember you asset. telling me about that. Oh, yeah. that was a big, that was a big colossal effort. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it was a mistake. I, I, I tried a lot of things, uh, uh, suppliers. A lot of times I used to broker it and we get, I get so big, like these suppliers were, you know, we they were owing us like owing me like a quarter million dollars in a month so sometimes. It was crazy. Yeah. And then they would cut you out. So I made some mistakes around building some buffer uh on the relationship of the end user to my supplier because I was relying at the time, I was repping the company, so they would pay me like commissions. I would just have right. like a standard five percent, which was good when I started out because I wasn't laying out much cash except for the tooling, but uh and I wasn't carrying receivables and all that stuff but i i that was a mistake in the end. We took a big hit back in sales I fired a whole bunch of customers at the time I fired a whole bunch of suppliers and then I redug into the distribution so then right. I became a distributor which provided more value to the customer and provided more buffer to being able to have multiple suppliers you know and hedging and playing off so it was a mistake at the time, but I wouldn't classify any of these mistakes as something that uh, at the time they seemed devastating, but they, they really moved me forward. Like the mistakes really just helped me calculate how to improve my business. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's just making sure you're really thoughtful about your partnerships, making sure you're really thoughtful about the optics to your client and being prepared that if it gets really big people are going to want to get in on it. So right. including competitors yeah. and even internally, people that are your suppliers, they're going to want to try to claw you back. Right. So it's about building value to your partners and your customers every day, reminding them everything you're doing, right. uh, building the depth of being indispensable. Just yeah. every day I try to think, okay, how do I make myself so that they need me so much that if I'm out of they couldn't do it. And so every mistake made me stronger. And and I was not afraid to make any mistake. I took on a lot more in the beginning than I do now. I'm definitely more selective today than I was before, but it's definitely a different level, Chris. Like we're at a stratosphere where if I do make the mistakes today, you know, in the middle of the night, I'm making, you know, if you're overseas, you're making like a three or 4 million euro error. So the mistakes are higher. Uh, It becomes a bigger deal. But uh, yeah, we're, we're well positioned to make a few errors and because uh, we have cash reserves and we have good, good hold on our client and good hold on our relationship with our client. And we are indispensable within, in our chain. Like right. if, if we don't exist, perishables don't pack. That's it. Right. Costco yeah. does not have stuff on their shelf. That's it. Yeah. Well, and that's... We, we, and that's, they're a great customer. I think they're the best customer in the world to be honest we're in we're in every costco worldwide wow
0: that is incredible and
1: <laughs> and and again i
0: think i think you know not surprisingly you know jason all these things you're just seeing as you know it's not a mistake it's it's i learned to to morph my business as a result of something i learned that hey being a broker wasn't the best thing anymore now i can take more and more on as 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 you gain more capability and more cash and, and deeper relationships, right. You know, and sort of seeing, Hey, these people are fronting you. Hey, why don't, why don't I go and own those relationships directly?
1: Well, and every negative margin position is something it's, it's a, it's a, it's going to hurt your business because it can start. And I know in our business, it's high volume. So it really starts that up. So when we were brokering and I started to compromise on our commission, I started to compromise on, you know, letting, you know, not caring about the small deal. When we were losing small deals, I started experiencing negative margin um, situations. That was the wake-up call to adjust the business model. And at the time, we were flexible enough to adjust it because we had relationship, we weren't tied to machines, we had expertise, and we were able to kind of pivot. But it was the negative margin that started triggering it. You know, like, it wasn't like we were losing all kinds of money. It was just right. when you lose money on a job, why? Analyze it and make sure the next job doesn't lose money. Like, exactly. don't take on the next job. And I remember that as a painter. Like, you know, like, don't do the next job. Like, if, if I remember having to go in and resell jobs. Like, learn, you know, we make a mistake and we do make mistakes. Like, even when I was painting, I remember making a few mistakes. But because we had some good support around it, it, it didn't really hurt. But then we adjusted. And margin, margin is really, really important. As soon as it goes negative, you want to attack that.
0: Yeah, no, that's so great, Jay, and that's exactly what we teach you. Know, our business coaches, you know, all of a sudden if a job's not good enough, great, let's go reprice it. Let's go give the person the deposit back. Yeah. No problem. You know, we we can't do a job that doesn't have good margin, and that's always okay. our position. And and um, you know, it's a position to hold on to for your life. You know, no, the, you know, we deserve to be profitable as 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 operators as business owners you know and just that's holding correct. that firm right that belief
1: that's correct uh, it's this you're not here to do favors it's business and everyone understands that if your product is valuable and you're indispensable that's what it yeah. comes down to so and and you know what there's other people that can lose money in the job and, and yeah. if they're tied yeah. up with that I'll focus on the customers that I can make money on
0: right? absolutely so it's super cool what you've developed in, in this whole packaging space, literally worldwide. Like, that's fantastic, uh, uh, Jason. What about, I know you've, over the last number of years, developed it into youth sport. Maybe you can tell our, our, our leaders what you're up to there.
1: Yeah, and now youth arts. But um, I have a 12-year-old and an 8-year-old. So as you develop children, I, I really didn't get a sense of um, community living in the Toronto beaches. I've been here over 20 years, and I was traveling the world a lot and spending a lot of time overseas and everywhere. Like, it didn't matter wherever the business was I'd go and so as I had my children I mean my wife I wasn't spending a lot of time with my son in the beginning because we're building a business and but then you know as as you want to be around and uh so we were starting to make some profit and you know, I guess I come from a background I played sports growing I think sports has also played a big role in in my competitiveness and my teamwork and all that stuff like that really combined with student works painting and so I see the value in making sports and so does my wife and making sports more accessible to the local community. And it also grounds me within my community and makes my little area of Toronto, like a smaller village. Like, so the right. beaches is like a little small town within a large, large city. I think it's kind of a survival mechanism. So youth sport became an investment only because I wanted the best for my kids and, and now arts. Cause my daughter's into dance and stuff. But then one of the things I discovered is like my parents didn't have a lot of money growing up and they spent all their money on me playing AAA hockey. And it, it just it really did. It was really tough reading my mom's journals and stuff. So there's a little bit of a a feeling that I have to give back. And I think right. I can't think of anything to give back better than, you know, helping four year olds play hockey. And it's basically hockey and lacrosse because it's our national sports so There's a little bit of tug on the old patriotism side. Right. And making sport more accessible to more people because it's so damn expensive. And yes, and, and if we can take, we found a little mechanism that we can take some of our profits and maybe uh, I know one of the mechanisms is around some tax planning. So we're able to kind of divert some of that money into the community. And, and all of a sudden, we, one of the things that really has come, uh, come you know, another clarity and success of our business. If you, and it happened in the packaging business too if you build a community around you a, a real community of contribution of everyone it's amazing how scalable it becomes so we now have thousands of families in this youth program we own two lacrosse teams we're making some investments in hockey we we can see ourselves maybe investing more in the professional game but i really like the 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 high performance amateur side And uh, we're getting quite big at it. Now it's a business. It's a business Mm -hmm. that has returns, not on the backs of the participants, but we found a bunch of stakeholders, banks and people, uh, local businesses, bigger businesses, chipping in money. And we also found business structure to bring cost reduction to youth and families. Man, yeah, it's starting to become a bit of a, a profit center. And that wasn't the design originally. I, I just cared if it kind of broke even or lost a bit of money and we were okay with right. it. But now we're starting to kind of find assets that, that are starting to turn money. And I really like the sports base because it's got me into I never had a Twitter, I never had an Instagram. Now that all kind of happens. I'm kind of the world seems to be going away from that stuff now. And we're we're all in on that stuff of sport. But uh it's uh it's fascinating the whole world of sport, and it's very exciting to see young athletes. Or young kids become athletes, and now a lot of them are going to Division One schools down the states on full scholarships. And because we always tie student athlete to the whole thing, and right. they're, they're amazing athletes, and they're all playing like pro in the NLL. A bunch of them are playing the NHL. Like it's, it's really fascinating seeing the results of all that effort.
0: Well, that's fan, that's fantastic. You know, and again, it's 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 using the success that you have for a whole bigger picture right just making a difference and something that really touches your heart clearly you know athleticism and sport in a community and the difference it makes to a community
1: and i'll tell you chris it's not much it's the same pattern we go out we build relationships we build relationships with parents we build relationships with leagues uh, we build relationships with professional athletes schools in the united states like there's probably about 25 schools on speed dial. I know the coaches and right. you build relationships, you you build value for all the stakeholders. And then within that, you become indispensable. And now we're relied on to develop, like in lacrosse, especially in Toronto, We're, I think the Rock just moved to Hamilton, the pro team. So we're kind of the biggest asset, I believe in lacrosse in the city now. And we're developing NLL stars. We have... I don't know. I think I counted. Uh, just graduated into the National Lacrosse League. I think we have like 20 players now in the National Lacrosse League. I'm, it's fascinating. Like it's, um, and they all they all went through and got university educations. I like, got like Cornell, Duke. Uh, you know, you got Harvard, Yale, like the best of the best uh, Canadian universities, like Western, very yeah. good lacrosse program, Queens, U of T. It's it's really a it's really a cool thing what's going on in that. What's state. your program called, Jason? Well, we have one team called well, it's called Toronto Lacrosse Club. It's very original. Uh, so we have one team called the Toronto Beaches Junior A. Uh, then we have um, the Toronto Lacrosse Club, which is 22, 23 year olds. So just before they turn pro, and then we've invested in a, in a in my business here in the beaches. We have we have a, one of uh, the coaches, Bob Acton Sports. We kind of help him out. And another company called Beast Athletics, which is all youth um, development, travel lacrosse and travel hockey. And, right. uh, and then my son's involved with the reps in the GTHL. So I'm getting I'm very involved with the reps AAA organization. And then that's put me in touch with kind of guys in the NHL who are very interested in our development approach, um, even at AAA hockey. So we combine hockey and lacrosse. right? And it's all, all multi-sport, you know, different disciplines. Yeah. And it's, it's fascinating the amount of people we've learned or met. And then we just applied kind of our basic business principles to this sports world. And we've let, you know, the instructors and the coaches coach. Right. We pay them well. Right. And, and then the youth, you know, play and the parents drink coffee on the sidelines because it's the best of everything on the benches, banging glass. Like it's just kind of this ecosystem and it's, it's affecting thousands and thousands of lives. It's, it's, it's really fun. So yeah, Toronto beaches and Toronto, I think we're going to be playing at Maple Leaf gardens. Uh, I think we are just working on that right now uh, for next year or for next summer. Right. Uh, which is a fantastic facility. Venue, you bet. And, uh, yeah. It's, it's growing like crazy. It's growing like crazy.
0: Um, what about if someone was considering venturing out into the entrepreneurial world, one of our leaders listening, what advice would you give them, Jason?
1: to try, to, to, to actually go for it. And, and once you figure out that you can make $1, repeat it as as much as you can. And, and, and right. it doesn't matter what it is. Like I don't think back and like today, I'm doing some stuff I'm very passionate about. I've got to that point with uh, sports and youth and my my kids and all that stuff. When I started out, it did not matter what I was doing as long as it was legal. Right. And, uh, and what I mean by that is if it was making a dollar, like it, you know, like I think about packaging, little pieces of plastic. And but I think about where we've come, like in terms of making it saving millions of tons of plastic through sustainable solutions that we worked on with Marks and Spencer. And now we're conforming to all this paper product. And it became pretty attractive over time. But in the beginning, it came down to that little tray that I made for rich products that they had a need. And they said, if you, you can make it for if you can give it to us for for 13 cents. And I went out and said, I could figure out, make it for nine cents. Well, that's a pretty good margin. Right. And I said, well, I gotta go find another tray and another right. tray. And I think as soon as you can identify profit, go for it and, and focus and, and repeat it and, and try, mm-hmm. and don't be afraid of failure. I think, I think a lot of people, um, a lot of people are afraid to try because they're f- afraid that you'll fall on their face and, and I found over the years, there's so many people who have supported me, including yourself, Chris, over the years through lots of challenging times, and and it's amazing the spirit of entrepreneurship in the and uh, how many people admire it. it it's the hardest thing to do in the world, really, right? Really or not. And people make it look really easy. Yeah. But I think I think try because there's a lot of people who are really pulling for you to to succeed because entrepreneurs are what really drive the economy and help us through pandemics and help us through you know real challenges in the world and and i i would just i would just encourage people to try and any idea that makes money is a good idea and focus on it and scale it And this, this is go as far as you can go That's
0: awesome so what did you need to change about yourself as you transitioned from that university student to a full-time business owner value creator in in the full-time world
1: um that's a good question uh well you mature fast uh going out in that world and facing some of these uh these big uh hitters who are very successful with their education and their careers um so what did i have to change i think more discipline um finding my like all the things that like I think back to my training from student works painting like the, the the real the prioritization of my time uh time management became very very important. In fact, every day time management is the most important thing. I get up at often I'm up at 3 or 4 in the morning night. I go to bed early. I yeah. get I do get adequate sleep, but I get up very early because it's very quiet and there's no one around. Right. And I'll, I'll I always prioritize my day on my day to glance. So I think I think what I had to change was I had to double up on the, on the habits that made me successful at a different level. Right. So I got more successful. I just had to get better at time management. I had to get better at my relationships. I get better at the number of phone calls I had to make. I had to get better at, you know, I just was more diligent on not like, like, I, I just, I just got more diligent on the things that made me successful. Like, I guess when I was younger, I took for granted, like how much more could I have done, right? right. I, I, if I would, and I think that just comes with a little age, and then once you start getting some responsibilities like kids and mortgage and you know and all that stuff, like you 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 just have to take things really seriously. Um, more preparation, like you know, being prepared for meetings, going in with a plan, having a yeah. goal. My yeah. goal setting became stronger, Chris, over the years. Like I, I, I definitely have very, I have daily goals. Literally, my day is back, 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 and it's. I really only want to do the, the the thing that's going to give the biggest check in the moment, yeah. the biggest value in the moment. So I'm constantly prioritizing, shifting my notes. I, I I I like my biggest thing is I carry around a a clip pad, a clipboard. My I don't even carry date. I got a phone and a clipboard. Right. I'm making notes. I'm constantly reviewing my priorities. So thinking back, sorry to ramble, but thinking back, I think. I think if I focused on those data glance, my my numbers when I was cold calling, you can always do more. Yeah. One more door, one more estimate. <laughs> you know, and, and you know, there's another thing with an entrepreneur. I know why I love being an entrepreneur, is I always believe, and I don't play the lottery, but I always believe the next lottery was the next door. Right. So, and I've had that experience in my life. Like it's unbelievable. If you're out there knocking on that door, the next I just ran into a bunch of guys that I'm getting involved with insurance now. I'm getting involved in another business um, in the medical field. And it was, they're one of my customers, and it's just another door. The next lottery ticket is only one one more door away. It's hard to, and that's the beauty of an entrepreneur is that every day can be like your best day. Yeah. (laughs) You know, they're going to have setbacks, but if you're in the game, and you're going hard and you knock on that one more door, you find that that five and, and, and in is maybe in student works painting world, maybe that four thousand dollar interior job that yeah makes you like eight, nine hundred thousand bucks. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's one more door. It's yeah. it's a beauty.
0: It's a beauty. I agree with you. And so so what key habits would would someone want to steal from you? One of our leaders listening.
1: Definitely planning. Like it's it's I'm constantly honing in on daily prioritizing my day in blocks, if I, if getting up early, getting up when your competitor is asleep, that's a huge <laughs> motivator for me. Like knowing yeah. that I'm up working focused and they're still in bed. Yeah. And, and that gets me going. So I saw a Kobe Bryant video once and he's like talking about his process and how you can yes. just never catch up to him. Yeah. And that's the way I feel. So I get up early by, by eight and I go to, and you have, and, and it creates good discipline because you have to go to bed early to do that. Yes. Right? So I, because I found I was wasting a lot of time late. It wasn't really productive time. So I get a lot of productivity from three o'clock in the morning to about seven o'clock in the morning. And then our first staff, our first staff meetings at six fifty. 50, right? Teared at six but I set it at the time. I don't know why. No, it's, and, it's actually a good um,
0: idea. Setting it. I'm like already, at a time, I, yeah.
1: And I feel sorry for the staff some days because I've, I go and I, you put my earbuds in, I go walking on the beach. I, I'm, I'm doing my phone calls as I'm now, as I'm walking, I'm trying to get a even healthier walking on the beach. I'm literally walking on the beach for like two hours in the morning, doing my phone calls and texts through yeah. my earbuds. And I, by 10 to seven, I'm firing. I, I'm yeah. like, 6:30 going Where, why is the world not up? Let's go. I'm just raring to go <laughs> and energy and positive joy and uh, enthusiasm and passion really does capture like man i want to be around that business if you're for like sure. if you're like getting up at 8 30 9 o'clock and you're just coming in and like i'm coming in fired
0: yeah and then
1: yeah. by by middle of the day like right about now it's 2 30 i I'm starting to get a little tired yeah um i may grab a nap but i'm, I'm pretty yeah. energized for talking with you chris like because you're very contagious as well I think your energy level is really key in business, like you, you know what you eat, what you drink, um, you know I, I I certainly can be in even better shape and I'm working on that right now. Your energy level drives success for yeah. sure, and so yeah, I think the mental thing is is being doing what your competitors aren't doing, and then you just drive it from yeah. there with high energy.
0: Well, I remember one thing you shared uh, when we spoke last time was. Was that when when checks come in or 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 money comes in that all of a sudden a big customer paid or whatever, there's a big celebration at the office. Oh, right. Yeah. Celebrate, celebrate yeah. the wins.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because that's finishing the job, right? And until yeah. you collect the check, yeah, that's like the reward. That's like I did everything right. Yeah. They paid me. How could they <laughs> pay me? Like, pay me? yeah. And and some of our sales processes is like six months. You know, I remember yeah. Nestle was three years before we landed this job to do like this patented project against craft and when you got paid that first order yeah we we celebrate every win big or small like collecting checks and i love it's like your scorecard and i maybe that's yeah. the sports side that yeah you know you measure based on collecting checks there's no doubt
0: yeah and and by the way as well it is a lot like sport and so business can be a lot like sport where hey we're cheering the goals we're cheering the Good shift there, yeah. You know, and 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 it and it makes it fun, right? And I and I know that's that's sort of a uh, something that you're creating in your business. You know, music in the office, make it fun, make it enjoyable.
1: Okay. Yeah, we we music's a big thing. We we actually hire or with our customer, we entertain our retailers by hiring big bands. That's one of the big things we do. We love music. Music creates machine okay. and so I mean, the last one we did, while well, we had the Foo Fighters lined up, and COVID. COVID nailed us. We were going to be in Louisiana with the Foo Fighters with a 1,000 people. Wow. Before that, in California, I was with um, what's that band, uh, Maroon Five. So we're, wow. we're partying with our customers before we put on a concert for a 1,000. So we're creating these unique experiences. We've had Flowrider, the original band members of Poison, Kid Rock, Duran Duran. Like every year, we just throw a massive party to celebrate the year and create this wonderful experience that. Is um, a lot like just this this thing that your customers can't get themselves, and you love it. So yeah. music is very much a part. Music and sport is definitely intertwined because everyone likes that stuff,
0: stuff. Absolutely, live music like what it. Yeah, and, and, and by so the that. way, you are you are totally right. It's it's kind of you can't get that right. You can't get that type of experience. A thousand person party with this amazing band, right? Like you know, it's just so so much fun you know, private, um, private experience.
1: And, and work is hard and, and collecting that yeah. checks hard and business is fun. Bruce Springsteen says it'll best He said, you know, one plus one is a grind, right? He said that I, I saw him on Broadway there and yeah. he goes, when when you get a band together and you're like a business and, you know, and in, in his case, it was when Clarence joined the band and he goes, one plus one equals three. It's not a grind. You get up, yeah. you're excited. You want to yeah. make music. And that's what business becomes when you bring joy to it. And, And yeah, you got to celebrate your wins and you got to, with your customers, enjoy the experience of being together because that moment in time where there's commerce is special. It's a, it's like this moment where you're helping each other move forward. You've provided a service that they needed that helps their, in in your case, their biggest asset, um, their home or their business, you're painting it and making it look great and protecting it. And in our case, like we're like part of the food chain, we're feeding, we're like and so we celebrate that moment of coming together, figuring it mm-hmm. out, everything going from. But you take time to celebrate, you know, within reason. We, we're not always yeah. celebrating every day, but uh, yeah. if you don't smell the roses, you know, life is pretty short. You know, you yeah. gotta you want to live while you're working. And and we're very fortunate we've been able to have lots of great experiences around the world
0: with business. Fantastic. So last question, Jay. When you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind?
1: Oh. Yeah, well, what comes to mind is is attitude, grit, willingness to try. Uh, probably less around book smarts and more around um, uh, applying it, like uh, having intuition to act. Not necessarily uh, like ask questions, but willing to initiate, willing to go out and do it. Not necessarily being told to do it. Take that chance to go and do it. Initiation is something I look for. And uh yeah, leader tomorrow is uh eh, yeah, today is I don't know, maybe I maybe I believe the leaders of tomorrow are, are more old school, the ones that understand the value of of, of building relationship and yeah. um, you know, willing to talk, willing to have a conversation. I think I do believe less less texting, less, less um. Less going into the cyber world and more into the real world. I think I'm looking for people that are doing that. I that's just I guess maybe the space we're in. Maybe uh, so a leader of tomorrow is willing to initiate and they're willing to be human about what they're doing, and their and, and attitude will go a long ways over, over the books in my opinion.
0: One hundred percent. Well Jay I just uh so so appreciative of you you know uh separating out, out some of the the time that, that that you so wisely allocate right and uh you know and again you're you're creating incredible results in the world um you know again congratulations on all that you've created and uh so appreciative uh you know again just I thought this podcast was fantastic so uh so you have yourself an awesome day
1: well, like every time I get together, I always feel better hanging out with you, Chris. You're such Uh-oh. a, you're, you were my original mentor. <laughs> That's the truth.
0: Well, thank you very much, Jay. Love, love spending time with you. You keep crushing it. We'll talk soon. Thanks, brother. Cheers, buddy. Bye-bye. Hey, leaders. I hope you enjoyed this episode. By now, you are aware that we work with ambitious students every single year to not only help them run their first successful business, but to further their development as a leader and give them an unfair advantage in the future over their counterparts. It's why starting now and only for the next few weeks, we'll be on campuses across Ontario, Quebec, and the East Coast interviewing students who think they have what it takes to start their first business and get started down their path of entrepreneurship. If you think you have what it takes or know someone who might be interested, visit leaderspodcast.ca slash apply and start your application process today. Once again, it's leaderspodcast.ca slash apply. And I can't wait to see you on the other side.